you in the name of the one holy living and true God. Amen. The writer Annie Dillard said that worship should be like a roller coaster ride. A fasten your seatbelts, harden your mouth thrill. It should feel risky and bold and challenging. I guess she didn't spend much time around Episcopal churches. But I do want to challenge us all to grapple this morning with the very bedrock of Christianity. Justification by faith through grace. St. Paul writes about it, and Jesus lived it and called his followers to do so as well. We are justified by faith through grace. This may sound pretty abstract, and in younger years I confess that these words seemed like some theological slogan that Martin Luther had cooked up, and they meant little to me. But gradually, over the years, I've come to understand justification by, justification by faith through grace as Christian language addressing a fundamental condition we all share. Whether we're religious or not, we all know that we need to feel right about ourselves and if we believe in God, right with God. The way I was brought up, what I heard in churches is that, and it's still taught in many churches, is that we get to be right with ourselves and with others and with God by earning it, by doing the right thing, by measuring up, deserving. This is life as a meritocracy. This is life as an assignment. For me, as a girl, that meant striving to achieve, to get, get best grades, to be good, to look and dress right, and to act in ways to gain my parents' and teachers' approval and the popularity of my friends. I didn't use the word justification then. I didn't even know it. But what I wanted was to feel right about myself. Not perfect, but good enough. I needed the sense that I was of value, that I was worthy of love. I knew I had my parents' love, but they were leery of expressing this except through praise of achievements, and I had little sense of God's love. I guess I thought I could earn it by going to Sunday school and getting those little pins for a good attendance each year. This aching for acceptance is deep and human, and along with it comes fear, fear of rejection. So often, our strivings to justify ourselves based on our own efforts grow out of this fear. And it can be a powerful motivator. After all, in some areas of life, it's a good one. Fear of flunking out or getting fired does impel us to try harder and do better. But existentially, existentially, self-justification is a bust. We can't get there on our own. In religious terms, we can't save ourselves from the wounds of existence. This does not mean that we need God because we are hopelessly sinful or that religion is a crutch for our weakness. I do not believe we are impossibly alienated from God, and for me, religion based on trying to appease a wrathful God is bad religion. Guilt caused by such religion is probably more prevalent than the real guilt that we should feel when we have caused needless hurt. 
I know people come to me feeling too guilty to come to communion, feeling guilty because they left the Roman Catholic Church, feeling unworthy of God's love even though they struggle every day to be good people. They fear it's up to them and that what they do is never enough. They feel they need to get it right. And they can't. We can't. All of this kind of reliance on self-justification and guilty fear of God is a misunderstanding of Christianity and of Judaism as well. It took me at least a two-step process to even begin to get at this justification by faith through grace. It was only through my own experience that these words began to mean something. The first step was when all my attempts to be a perfect wife in my first early marriage were met with massive betrayal. I remember being literally down on my knees sobbing in my small apartment in Arlington, sobbing as the realization sank in that I could not earn and keep the love of another human being by my own efforts. I couldn't depend on someone else to make me feel okay about myself if I just acted right. It was the first time in my young life that something really big, something I desperately wanted, was beyond the reach of my own determination and willpower to achieve. The second step was more of a process. It began when I walked into St. John's Episcopal Church in Fort Washington, Maryland in the spring of 1975. There I heard Christianity preached in a way I never heard or maybe couldn't have heard it before. It was as if Christianity was a whole new language, but one that now spoke to my deepest concerns about being worthy and being loved. Slowly, slowly, Sunday after Sunday, through an adult inquirer's class, through conversations with the rector, I began to understand, finally, about justification by faith through grace. I began to get what the theologian Paul Tillich affirmed in his most famous sermon, you are accepted. Tillich says that acceptance is pure grace. And in words that have been quoted from thousands of pulpits since, he said this, grace strikes when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when year after year, the longed for perfection of life does not appear when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes, at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you and the name of which you do not know. Do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything late now. Perhaps later you will do much. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens to us, we experience grace. That's Tillich. My understanding of this grace and my real faith in it has come gradually but surely. I do believe with all my heart in this grace and that we are ultimately judged by it, justified by it, and not by our own strivings, no matter how desperate. For me, this was a huge life-changing possibility. 
this assurance that we already have God's love, that we don't have to do anything to get it. Setting our hearts on God's grace is, of course, a matter of faith. There's no proof. We have the freedom to reject that grace or to act against it, and we do, but we don't have to earn it in the first or second or third place. We are accepted, and I believe that the faith to respond to this, to live in this assurance, is also a gift, needing from us only the openness to embrace it. Well, the immediate red flag in the face of all this talk of grace is this. Well, then why would anyone be good if God loves us no matter what? What happens to morality, to rules, to laws? The biblical understanding about law, or Torah, is, however, that it is a gift from God, an inspired code of behavior based on the love of God and love of neighbor that helped a community to thrive and maintain its identity. Law was a means to provide for health and justice, not the means of salvation, not an end in itself. And so for us, laws and morality are good for us, and we need them, but they can't save us. They are part of our response to a gracious God and to the gift of life. We are called to behave well, to be good, not in order to get God's love, but because we already have it. We are accepted. Let me illustrate what I mean about behaving well as response, not a means to earn God's favor. Here is a tale of two teachers. In fourth grade, my gym teacher was Miss McGee, and I hated and feared her. She was like a drill sergeant, with a cold, angry face and a stern voice, all muscle and no nonsense. She spit when she talked. I didn't think I was much of an athlete anyway, but with her I felt I could never measure up. I dreaded gym. I tried hard, but I would forget my uniform, I'd show up late, I'd be out of step in our precision drills. All of it was a nightmare. I was trying so hard to behave well in order to gain acceptance and in fear of reproof and punishment. In the seventh grade, I had an art teacher, Mrs. Quirk. And I knew from the beginning that she liked me and wanted me to succeed. Just with, as with Jim, I didn't think myself much of an artist, but I loved her class because she constantly encouraged me and pointed out good things in my paintings. I tried really, really hard, not in order to gain her approval, but because I already had it and I wanted to do my best work for her in response. To this day, a painting from that year hangs in my sister's apartment. So we have it backwards if we think faith is what brings God into our lives and gets God to answer prayers and reveal God's self and love us. God already does all that. This is who God is. God's love is in our world and in our lives, in us. This is the grace that justifies us, and faith is our response. Faith is what we do. It's saying yes to grace because we've experienced it. And having experienced grace, whether in small or big dramatic ways, we can live in the hope of being touched by it again and again, often in ways we least expect. I believe that this grace, which accepts us utterly, has always been real. It came long before, this was part of creation. It didn't only happen with the birth of Jesus. But the story of God taking flesh in Jesus revealed this in a new and unique way. 
If God is willing to live in us and in the lives we live, bear the crosses we bear, the sins we commit, willing to suffer and die with us as God did with Jesus, then we're good enough. We're accepted, and to use St. Paul's language, we are reckoned as righteous. It is this incredible grace reaching towards us and our faith in response that can change and free and save us. It is by this grace that I do believe God can transform each of us and our whole hurting world. May our hearts be open to receive this grace and live this love in grateful response. Amen.